Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, Mod Chat is a podcast I host here at least monthly in two different forms here on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel in a video visual form. So you can kind of see what's going on if I'm covering something directly or in an audio only form if you wish to take this around and listen to it like an actual podcast. Simply look up Mod Chat, all one word, on your favorite podcasting app host or provider and you should hopefully be able to find it. I know it's not available on all of them but it's available on most of them. In regards to Mod Chat, what I do is I come on here at least once a month and I talk about some things that I see in the world of video game console modding which I find cool, new, interesting and just talk to you all a little bit about. Now it's not a breaking news show by any means but there's a lot of people who do take this as a new show so to speak in a way just because I try and cover stuff that maybe some people just haven't heard of or if something is more popular I will try and give my takes on it and sometimes we even do a little bit of show and tell. Either way for this here we do have a lot of topics to cover covering quite a few systems and really going back to even December as well and even before that because uh, December well I will say developers were very gracious with giving us a whole lot of Christmas presents so that was awesome to see so let's just go ahead and get into our very first topic here now our first release here that we're going to be looking at is actually going back to the 3ds and this is going to be ENL buffer pone or I'll say enable buffer pone for this uh, this is from Pablo MK7 with the other contributor of epic username 12 and i think i'm gonna actually scroll to the bottom because there was some other credits here yes there was pablo mk7 rambo 6 glass and fish guy 6564 here although they are saying that there's been multiple people who discovered this independently but these are the people who were responsible for disclosing this here now what exactly is this well going through it all enable buffer pwn it does have a cve attached to it here and this is apparently a pretty important one here scoring a 9.8 out of 10 on the scale there and being critical uh, with the description here they do state enable buffer pwn is a vulnerability in the common network code of several first party nintendo games since the nintendo 3ds that allows an attacker to execute code remotely in the victim's console by just having an online game with them remote code execution it was discovered by multiple people independently during 2021 and reported to nintendo during 2021 and 2022 since the initial report, Nintendo has patched the vulnerability in many vulnerable games. The information in this repository has been safely disclosed after getting permission from Nintendo. Here is a list of games that are known to have had the vulnerability at some point. All the Switch and 3DS games listed have received updates that patch a vulnerability so they are no longer affected. So covering it here, Mario Kart 7 fixed in version 1.2, and this actually explains it here. I never covered it on the show, but for anybody who might have been paying attention to Mario Kart 7 on the 3DS, and if you weren't, which I'm sure is most people, totally understandable, but it ended up getting a patch several months ago, and a lot of people thought that it was to stop modding attempts and this would explain what was going on here because it was just so odd to have a random Mario Kart 7 patch drop in 2022 but Mario Kart 7 Mario Kart 8 that one has not been fixed officially Mario Kart 8 Deluxe has been fixed in version 2.1.0 Animal Crossing New Horizons was fixed in 2.0.6. ARMS, okay, haven't heard that in a while, was fixed in 5.4.1. 
The original Splatoon was not fixed, officially at least. Splatoon 2 is fixed in 5.5.1. Splatoon 3 fixed in late 2022. Exact version unknown. Super Mario Maker 2 fixed in 3.0.2. And Nintendo Switch Sports fixed in late 2022. Again, the exact version unknown. Since Super Mario Maker 2 was patched... I'm wondering if the first one on Wii U has not been patched as well and is probably vulnerable to this. Now, I'm not going to go into all the nitty-gritty here. However, as a demonstration, they did show a video for Mario Kart 7 here, and let's just see what's going on. So they say the following video showcases a severe case of the vulnerability in Mario Kart 7, where a console controlled by an attacker left side fully takes over an unmodified console on the right side. The only interaction done by the user is joining an online game session with the attacker, in this case using the communities feature. Note that a community was used to safely test the vulnerability in an isolated manner and not affect any other users playing in public lobbies. The takeover is done by copying a ROP payload to the remote console and then executing it. This ROP payload then uses other vulnerabilities in the OS to escalate privileges and get total control. In the video, the remote console is forced to run a custom firmware installer so the safe B9S installer. So let's take a look at this video here, and then we're going to come back to this. So looking at this all, this was, of course, on the previous update for Mario Kart 1.1. So we do have on the left side uh, the hacked up console here. On the right side, a completely stock console that is just joining this game. And you can actually see here on the hacked console, it says sending payload. So we're getting that. And let's just see what happens. And again, on the right side, we just have a completely unsuspecting, well, you would think, in this case, if this was really unleashed to the world, a completely unsuspecting console here, and let's just see what happens. Alright, so it's still sending this payload. Does look like it takes quite a bit here, but once we get through it all, thankfully it's a short video. I do want to kind of show the whole thing here. Looks like we're almost at 100%. Okay, here we go. Look at this. Post, uh, this... Post-firm launch, there we go, ARM 11 stub, ARM 9 exploit, so ARM 11 entry point is there, synchronization on everything is done, got ARM 9 arbitrary code execution, and again, this is a completely stock console, and then just look at this here, from here on out, I mean, it wasn't launched, but I'm just going to pause this here, it wasn't launched at this point, but you do have access to the safe B9S installer, so this is super cool to see in action here, because some people might be wondering, okay, what's the worst that's going to happen, what all these people are, we're going to have like a new evolution, uh, like a new evolution of modded lobbies on here, where you can literally join a game and just mod your system that way, well, unfortunately, that is the more happy approach, maybe to Nintendo's dismay here, because coming back here, they do say, using the same techniques, it would be theoretically possible to steal account credit card information or take unauthorized audio video recordings using the console's built-in mic cameras. So, <laughs> very good thing this is all fixed up here, but probably one of the wildest things that I've seen on the 3DS. Uh, just even that demonstration there was super cool, and again, I guess we can think of it like a happy path there with this being, uh, you know, in a best-case scenario, you join a modded lobby and you get your console modded, uh, but this, no, 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 this did need to be patched here. So even though we're done with the 3DS, the DSi, of all things, ended up getting something on here, and I love covering the DSi, uh, just, or the original DS when stuff comes up, just because these 
consoles are so old, and when something does happen on them, it ends up being pretty cool. Like I've covered the DSi custom firmware on here before, but this is Style Hacks, which is the world's first, at least publicly available here, uh, DSi browser exploit. They say put boot.nds on your SD card, then open up a D the DSi browser and go to stylehacks.net. Uh, let's go ahead and see this video here and see what's going on. So again, a short video, and this looks like a completely stock DSi. Uh, I'm going to assume it does have the file needed on the SD card. I forgot they were using Opera on this. That was the, the Wii and the DSi. They were using the Opera browser. So they're going to the Stylehacks site. Uh, Style Hacks by Nathan, exploit in progress. If you've waited more than 30 seconds, reboot and try again. All right, cool. So let's just see what's going on. So we're just kind of waiting for this. It looks like we just wait. There's nothing like visual going on here. Oh, there we go. All right, we got some flashing lights. And it looks like we have, oh my God, we have custom firmware. Just, oh, that is dangerously easy. <laughs> Covering the PS4 scene here briefly, this is from Al Azif, and this was released as a Christmas present here, but this is the PlayStation 4 Custom Firmware Toolkit. This is available on GitHub here, and just reading through this, with the proper keys, all of which can be obtained from the console, you can decrypt and properly encrypt the following binary images. EAP kernel bootloader, the EAP kernel, the EMC initial program load, and the syscon, so both patch and full. What's missing as far as custom code running everywhere, that's not currently supported within this repository, so we have SAMU IPL, which I state here, encrypted with PCKs with an S flash and signed with private keys. Some notes saying this was required for PS3 style custom firmware where you just install a pup. Private keys are not on the console and there's seven revisions this. Uh, cell files here, so encrypted and signed with proper keys or private keys, uh, would not matter if the SAMU IPL is broken or custom, but again, private keys are not on the console. The Bluetooth Wi-Fi firmware, so this is not encrypted or signed. One of them is packed. It's just a zip. There's three revisions of it. The Blu-ray drive firmware, they just haven't looked at it, but there's six revisions. USB SATA bridge firmware, again, they haven't looked at it, just one revision of it. And communication processor firmware, they haven't looked at this. Uh, this apparently dev kit only but there's only one revision and just a nice synopsis here over everything so for this you're able to encrypt and decrypt the EAP kernel bootloader images it just has some instructions and usage on here you're able to decrypt and encrypt the EAP kernel images like we covered before uh, for the EMC decrypt and encrypt EMC images now they say can apply god mode patches during either operation and the location here and it looks like also, of course, decrypt and encrypt the syscon images, but inaccessible within the file system. Some extra notes here. This is tested on WSL with Clang 10 and OpenSSL 1.1.1. Support for anything else is not guaranteed. Output of the binary files will be located in the bin directory. The input binary for encryption doesn't do any checks beyond checking to see if the file magic is correct and the size will fit the free space available when installed. It's your responsibility to make sure the binary you're feeding it is built correctly and valid. This is stripped out of a larger project, so some things may not make sense or be optimal in this context. However, it should function as expected. I did my best minimizing it without rewriting any of it. Any major changes in functionality may not work within the context of the larger program or already be done, so send me a DM before starting to work on any major changes. Some features were removed, 
to not step on toes and will likely be added at a later date, no ETA. Of course, they do say here that the keys are not included. Check the dev wiki or something. This is on purpose. Do not submit them, please. Update the wiki when you're adding new ones. And finally, be sure to have a way to restore from backup if you're re using real hardware. So cool to see here, and this will definitely be helpful for anybody who is doing further reverse engineering on the uh, PlayStation 4 itself, but I'm sure for anybody working on that, super awesome Christmas present here. Now, I have made a video covering this specific thing for the Vita. However, I want to talk about this on Mod Chat because I'd actually talked about this on Mod Chat years ago uh, that when this was announced and teased being Hinlo for the Vita, which at the time, and I guess still is, the last exploit that was going to be released in the last type of jailbreak from the flow or Andy Wynn. So he states here late Christmas present and he links to Hinlo and he states that this is a WebKit and kernel exploit chain for all PlayStation Vita firmwares. This is a work in progress from three years ago that I never finished. Exploit is fully working but hasn't been turned into a jailbreak yet. And then just scrolling down, looking at some of this, my hope is that someone will pick this project up and create a jailbreak that works on all firmwares between 3.60 and 3.74, which has been worked on and released and is available right now in the form of Hinlo JB from SKG Liba. He also states this is a good learning opportunity if you want to gain experience in OS internals and kernel exploitation. That's how I got into Google. This uses QWERTY's WebKit exploit for firmware 4.0x on the PlayStation 4 and two kernel bugs of mine, a heap info leak in SCE net syscall control and an integer overflow leading to heap overflow in SCE net syscall git if list. Now, I did mention this here, but Hinlo was then taken and worked on and all chained together for Hinlo GB from SKG Liba as well as Yoti. And this is saying here that this is the Hinlo based jailbreak for PlayStation Vita and TV running at least firmware 3.65 the WebKit-based jailbreak for PlayStation Vita and TV here, and just looks a little something like this. And it's super simple here. Really, all you have to do is, if you are using this as an end user, you can either, well, download the source here and just host it locally on a web page, or you can just go to the web page which SKG Liba is hosting and end up running this here. It's super cool to see, it's super easy, and one reason why I was really excited for this here even years ago is because for anybody who does not know, the first, I guess, big modification released uh, modding method for the PlayStation Vita was Hinkaku on firmware 3.60, where you really just go to the Hinkaku website and you click an install button there, and it's really just a WebKit exploit where you can modify your Vita that way. However, we haven't seen one of those since 3.60. 3.65 and onwards, all those methods end up requiring uh, really game exploits on there, which aren't super difficult or impossible, mind you, but it does require and have a reliance on PlayStation Network. And for longevity, I personally prefer to have something which doesn't rely on PlayStation Network, especially even in the short term. There might be some people they just can't connect onto PlayStation Network or they don't want to. Some examples being, well, maybe their system is banned or maybe they even have a Chinese Vita and they're not able to access the 
stores outside of China on that, unfortunately. So to me, I still recommended firmware 3.60 for a while because if you were on firmware 3.60 and something ended up going wrong and you had to wipe your system, you didn't need to update and be connected to PlayStation Network in any way to remod your system. So now with Hinlo, uh, that's not needed anymore, and that's super nice to see. Of course, some people have asked me when I've said that, well, does that mean that I can't put PlayStation Network and use it on there? Uh, no, you can still have an account on there. I do always say if you're dealing with a modified system, there's always a ban risk. However, what I'm saying is it's no longer a requirement. While it's for so long, and we've kind of forgotten about this and taken it for granted, uh, modifying a Vita on the latest firmware for the last few years has required us to be connected and using PlayStation Network. Now here's something I haven't toyed around with yet. This is from Graphene CT, and this here is NetStream, a universal video streaming client for the PlayStation Vita. This looks super cool to see, and as you can see here, well, it just says it's a universal video streaming client for the PlayStation Vita. It looks real nice, and it does support YouTube videos and live streams, which that's awesome there. Um, an HTTP server, so if you're just connecting to an HTTP server, connecting to an FTP server, or even just using some good old local storage storage on the Vita itself. Planned in future releases is going to be Twitch support and Nico Nico support. It, say, it says here also, please read included PS Vita user manual for more information and controls. I don't think I've actually seen that utilized on here. So super cool to see. I haven't used this myself here personally, but again, really awesome to see here. Now with PlayStation 3 emulation being in a pretty awesome spot in all honesty, it ended up getting even better around Christmas time with this article from WCCF Tech saying here that RPCS3 can now run all released PlayStation 3 games. Just reading through this a bit, they state the PlayStation 3 emulator RPCS3 has been making amazing strides for a few years now, allowing PC owners to enjoy games that are still exclusive to the Sony console, such as Rockstar Games Red Dead Redemption and the first few entries in the God of War series, to name a few. Yesterday, the developer confirmed that another extremely important milestone has been reached, as the emulator is now capable of running every released PlayStation 3 game. That, that's big. Uh, while this doesn't mean that every game is in a playable state, it is undeniable that this is a great milestone that bodes well for the entire PS3 library to eventually become playable on PC. And they even state here from their Twitter, this is pulled, we are delighted to announce that as of today, RPCS3 loadable compatibility category has reached zero games. This means there are no PS3 games left that boot to a black screen on the emulator. Every PS3 game at the very least boots and shows image output. Happy holidays. Super cool. That's awesome. It's been a while since I've touched up on this on the Switch here, but several years ago I did talk about the release of L4T Ubuntu, uh, which is an Ubuntu branch, or I guess just an Ubuntu install that you can use on the Switch here. Uh, while unfortunately it's been really just delegated to the original Switch consoles, uh, so like a version 1 unpatched, However, just like, you know, all these other releases, with this being a Christmas present of sorts, CTC Air has said that L4T Ubuntu 5.0.0 is now released. The big one here, stating that there is now support for the Switch 2019 model, the light and the OLED is here. Plus, way too many new improvements, features, and fixes included for all. Happy holidays and open tweet for more. It's so going through here. They say you can find the L4T Ubuntu change log here. New users can download the image here from Switchroot 
all existing users can update via the software updater app. Just run it, wait, and select install now. There was also an update shortly after here saying they fixed an issue with hardware encoding, fixed certain setups failing to upgrade from 3.4.x to 5.0.0, changed the text editor theme to a more legible one. Uh, about this computer now shows customized version and some quality of life changes. So super cool here to see. Uh, now for anybody who might be wondering how they can really even get this up and running and started on here, uh, since the original version one unpatched switch can really just use, you know, the jig and doing a uh, payload injection on there. If you want to do this on any of the newer switches mentioned here, like the 2019, so they mean like the Mariko revision, a light, or even an OLED, you will unfortunately have to go with a hard mod and, you know, actually get a mod chip installed on your system to get this all set up. But either way, I just love seeing that Ubuntu is now available on really all the Switch systems. Now, when I'm able to do some coverage of the original PlayStation, just that super awesome gunmetal system that I truly enjoy here, uh, I like to do that. And this ended up just kind of randomly coming out here but this is even you know i'm just looking at this now uh this came across i guess my desk so to speak like recently like this month but i'm just now noticing this this is not a new new release but you know what still we're gonna go through this we're going to uh cover this here why not because this clearly didn't get the coverage on the show in august so i'm gonna do it now it's just too cool to not cover uh this here is a playstation sonic the hedgehog demo uh, it looks like this is from Tiago SC. This was completed in about two months using the PsyQ and some other custom stuff with the software development kit. It's only one player, of course, since that's the original Sonic, and you can really just burn it and play it at this point. So they say this is my PSX Sonic project. Thanks to LameGuy64 for the wonderful tutorials on how to use the GPU, and to everyone at PSX Dev. You can just download this 7-zip file from Mediafire, which has the bin and queue, and then launch it using however, you know, however you're going to play it on there. I'm sure this works on ODEs. You can also burn it and play it on original hardware, and I'm sure you can run this in emulators as well, too. Alex Free did say here that it runs so well, I made it to the end on a SCPH-1000. Shows a lot of promise, but some bugs is that you can't die, not even in pits. There's no boss, so not yet implemented, and the ring counter is weird if you lose rings. Oh, and the cool thing is, this is not emulation by any means. This is, like, actually natively running on the original PlayStation. It's not being emulated on the original PlayStation. Either way, cool project here. Super awesome to see, and hey, go ahead and give it a download. Try it out. Now, I did just say I like to cover PlayStation topics, and just like the previous one, this is something that looks like this is not new by any means. It looks like this uh, article, at least, was published July 7th, 2022, uh, but it didn't get, like, a ton of traction on here. I'd actually seen it posted on PSX Place, and it was just linking back to this article on Kotaku which is why I'm pulling this here. However, uh, this is also something that's worth covering because I didn't hear about it until now. Uh, so an obscure play Japanese PlayStation 1 game is finally available in English. This is something I've never heard of called Akon Kaguya. I hope I said that right here. So they're saying here, back in 2000, Sony released a game called Akon Kaguya for the PlayStation 1, an adventure game set in the aftermath of a plane crash in the Andes. It has spent the last 22 years only in Japanese until now. Hilltop, which we covered last year for its work on on Racing Lagoon, that was also another PlayStation 1 game that was translated to English here by the community, will be releasing an English language patch on July 11th that will finally make the game playable for, well, everyone who's able to read this post. 
Now there is this long play here, so I'm actually going to fire this up and kind of have it playing while we're going through this all. I did uh, skip through it a little bit, and from what I saw here, like you can see all the text, the subtitles are in Japanese, but everything that's being spoken here, like when the characters are talking, that's actually all in English. And there were several games that ended up releasing like that in Japan, where they were dubbed in English and they were playable to that extent. However, any of the subtitles and any of the in-game text was all in Japanese, which can be, of course, quite difficult if you're going to be playing through something that is reliant on all here. If it's going to be, you know, some that's not just a fighting game, for an example. But they say here, Akon Kaguya has you playing as a number of characters. You can swap between them after only five people, including a journalist and political leader, survive a plane crash in South America caused by terrorist bombing. It's got a third-person point of view and has you wandering around a snowy mountaintop involving puzzles and helping the other survivors get down to the bottom without being murdered by said terrorists. And it looks like we do have a trailer for the English patch here which is showing and yeah check this out so the, the game of course is still uh, going to be in English when it comes to any of the audio but you see that now the subtitles are in English which if you can already understand English vocally that's not going to make a huge huge difference here although hey subtitles are definitely great but when it comes to actually playing it here I'm just wondering if there's any, uh, no, it just looks like this is only the cutscene itself. But regardless, when you're actually going through the game now, again, it's going to be completely playable in English, which is super awesome to see. So definitely something to check out here. Different game here, but there was actually another one last year that ended up getting the same treatment. And mind you, this here is an example of a different patch, but there was another game I had never heard of and was kind of similar to Shinmu on a way that released on the original PlayStation was a Japanese exclusive, and just like before, any time there was characters who were actually speaking, it was dubbed in English. However, uh, any text, and this was a very text-based game, uh, was just in Japanese. Now, again, this is uh, this was from what 2020. So this game, Mizerna Falls, was known for having at least one or two English patches out there, but they weren't as complete as the one that came out in 2022. So this is actually a game I did pick up, like I imported, patched it and everything, and it's now totally playable in English. Now typically for the last topic here, I like to pick something that I think is cool, interesting, funny, just different, wild, whatever it might be in regards to console modding, as long as it can kind of relate to console modding in some way. Funny enough, I still think my favorite thing is probably when we ended up quite literally going to a college website. I don't remember which one, but it was a college university site and they were using custom firmware on a PSP and had screenshots from there showing how to get a PSP on their network. That's probably still my favorite thing I've covered in this little section here at the end. Uh, but either way, we're not going to be covering the PSP. We're actually going to be covering the Xbox 360 here and taking a look at an article that Eaton, who has done really awesome stuff for the world of the Xbox 360 for years now, and even now the original Xbox ended up covering on his site. But this is an article he wrote covering how Microsoft attempted to make the Xbox 360 dashboard load faster. Now, of course, I'm going to have it linked down below in the description. So if you want to give it a big, like proper read on here, you most certainly can do that. But I'm just kind of going to go over some of the highlights on here. Saying here, just at the top of it, since 2005, the Xbox 360 dashboard has resided on the flash chip soldered onto the motherboard. In most consoles, it is a 16 megabyte flash chip, Hynix, and it has the model number here. Uh, some consoles have a larger flash of 256 megabytes 
megabyte or 512 megabyte gamers can use as extra storage space. All of the essential system files are on the NAND file system, meaning the console can boot to Dash successfully without a hard drive. The Xbox 360 hard drive has always been an optional accessory, but as the console generation progressed, having a hard drive became increasingly necessary as the number of games and downloadable content increased. On November 19, 2008, Microsoft released the NXE, so New Dashboard Experience, update. It was a huge update that brought avatars, a redesigned dashboard UI, and much more. In particular, it brought support for two new partitions on the hard drive. They are called the System Auxiliary and System Extended Partitions. The NXE update brought so many features that they could not all fit on the 16MB NAND file system. The two new partitions gave Microsoft 350MB more space to play with, more than enough for the initial NXE update and future expansion. This has a caveat where the hard drive is needed to get the full experience. For example, if the hard drive is not connected, the console will still function since all the essential file systems are still on the NAND, but all the extra goodies such as avatars will not work since those files are on the hard drive. So going back here now, in October 2012, there was an update and they state here that someone at Microsoft realized they may be able to speed up the dash by moving it to one of the new hard drive partitions. The 16197 update brought a lot of new features. And I'm actually curious, let's look at this feature list here. I remember this. Okay, so a refreshed Xbox 360 dashboard. We've updated a few things in the UI. Internet Explorer, this is where we end up getting that. We got recommendations and ratings. We got pins. Uh, Xbox Video, that was from the former Zune Video Marketplace. Uh, recent, previously called Quick Play, so they changed that. And an extended search. Okay, I do remember this update. Going back to the article, it stated one small feature no one noticed was how the dash executable was moved to the hard drive's system extended partition. A new function was added to the Xbox application manager, so XAM, named CZAM title loader get fastest dash load path. Here's what it looked like in IDA. And just some nice, lovely uh, reverse engineering output here. What it does is check if the fast extended storage is connected. This means a hard drive is connected with a valid system extended partition and will override the dash load path which by default is the dash that is on the NAND. The dash is still on the NAND as a fallback in case a hard drive is not connected. So this surprised me here. This is just saying that it would be faster to load off of a spinning hard drive than the dash like than the NAND chip which surprised me but we'll get into this here. Another change was made to the dash executable itself. It is now uncompressed. Xbox 360 executables can be LZX compressed and or AES encrypted. The dash being uncompressed means the system won't have as much to do when the data is loaded into memory from disk. That makes more sense, alright. So this will make the dash load faster as long as the disk read completes in the same time or less as the NAND flash read. So here, just as a comparison, we see that compression reduced the file size by about 2.6 times. And they're also stating here, just comparing them, that the dash on the system extended partition is uncompressed, but the one on the NAND flash is compressed. For the performance testing here, they say based on the function name get fastest dash load path and what it does, it is clear that Microsoft developers believe the hard drive is faster than the NAND flash. Are they right? 
To get a general idea, I used a stopwatch app on my phone to test loading the latest dash on the NAND versus hard drive. I could not find any noticeable difference. Both load in about 2.3 seconds. Time was measured from the instant the dash started being loaded, black screen, to when the black screen started to fade. This test shows the performance benefits aren't as noticeable as expected, but that doesn't mean they are non-existent. For the second test, I wrote a rudimentary benchmark in C++ to run on the console itself. We have the code right here for this, and here's the results. So reading dash.xex in a one megabyte buffer, we see that from the NAND, it takes 719 milliseconds, and from the hard drive, it takes 177 milliseconds. There is indeed a performance benefit to loading the dash from the hard drive, but it's measured in milliseconds. That is better than nothing, and concludes that moving the dash to the hard drive is slightly beneficial to the user experience. Given how important and widely used the dash is, any speed boost is appreciated by gamers. And here we had a second update for this being the August 2013 update. I did notice looking through this earlier, I just, I guess the only thing I'm disappointed by is not this article here. I'm just disappointed that we got these updates here so late into the Xbox 360's life cycle. The previous function here was renamed to CZAM title loader get default title image. The function works the same, but has new data center functionality. When the console is in data center mode, it will download a data center dashboard from Xbox Live to use instead. Data center mode is a mystery and is presumably an internal service, perhaps related to an early experiment with cloud gaming. I hadn't heard of that until now, and that's about it in regards to this here. But yeah, it looks like, I mean, super cool to see here. This is nothing that I particularly knew of, but... Just interesting to see overall in a really cool article. I would recommend giving this a read. So here we go. We're at the end of this episode here. Now, typically at the very end, if you've made it to the end here, I would like to thank you all for listening and watching wherever you're from. But I also like to do something a little fun here where I end up picking a keyword or a key phrase. And if you use this keyword or key phrase in a comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. And if you're one of those people who's listening to the audio only version of this, don't worry. You can go ahead, come over to the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel, look for ModChat98 and just leave this keyword or key phrase in a comment and I was kind of looking around a little bit it's typically something that's near me or on my desk or something and when it came to all the PS1 content I was covering there I had to look for the game that I was thinking of not the one that I just covered here that got English patch but the previous one I was thinking of and I literally do have it here Mazurna Falls so you know what how about Falls if you use the word falls on the comment here on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end. What are your thoughts on Niagara Falls, for example? Personally, I've been there. I've been to the Canadian side, not the American side, but I've been told the Canadian side is a lot nicer there. And uh, videos and pictures do not do it justice. Beautiful if you can ever go. Anyways, if you do use the word falls on your comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode of Mod Chat. That is about it for this episode. Thank you all very much for listening and watching wherever you're from. Now, as I always say, this is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next time. And this this dog just slept this whole time. She was even making like little like sleepy dog noises and dreaming and all that at one point, but she's just been sleeping this whole time. <laughs>